0: Welcome to TGI Tourism Geography Insights, a podcast of Tourism Geography's journal where we discuss our latest research and developments of our peer reviewed journal, which explores tourism and tourism related areas, of recreation and leisure studies from a geographic perspective. All right, welcome to Tourism Geography's podcast. I am joined here by Rosa Kadina, she and her colleagues uh, recently published in 2022 an article in Tourism Geographies called Place, Power, and Tourism in Value Creation, Testing the Plaza in Pisac, Peru, in Volume 24, Issues 4 and 5, that you can uh, find in the description. So Rosa, welcome to the podcast, thanks for joining
1: Thank you Stevens thank you for inviting me.
0: No problem. All right, uh, I'm quite interested in your paper so you know as as we usually do here in Tourism Geographies podcast can you tell us what question or problem the paper or the and the research is setting out to understand please.
1: Yes. So we wanted to first of all examine local uh, play power relations and we wanted to show the importance of understanding this micro level power dynamics that sort of emerge through everyday mundane practices, socioeconomic practices and uh, uh, interactions between local actors and how these shape and influence local participation in tourism and also vice versa how tourism shapes these local relationships and can restructure um, social relations of power at a local level amongst local uh, groups and individuals and also between uh, local groups and individuals, and foreign stakeholders like tour operators, uh, like migrants, for instance, that come to tourism destinations because uh, they can find work and uh, they can make a profit. So that was one of the main objectives, and we also wanted to do this uh, focusing on spatial power dynamics in relation to the Plaza of Pisac. So that's the context of the the study took place in Pisac in Peru, and. Within this tourism destination, the plaza is the the central square is where most of the tourism activity takes place. And so it was important also to examine this because that's increasingly the plaza is being used for strategic purposes by different local actors who want to compete for uh, local power within the the tourism industry, whilst at the same time it's also a place that is still very important for local residents and the fact that tourism activity has taken over that space, also has implications for uh, local residents. So that was also one of the, the goals.
0: That's great. Now, we were speaking earlier, you're from Peru and uh, now we're, uh, living and working in the UK. Um, had you been to the plaza before when you were when you were?
1: I, I, so I hadn't been. Um, this study was, was part of my PhD, was an ethnographic study. I had only mostly traveled I had lived in Lima and I had traveled around the coast of Peru, but I had never been to the highlands. So I hadn't been to Cusco even before. So it was the the first time that I had been to this this part of the of the Andes and of Peru. And so it took me a while to to get familiar with the place and, and to know the people and, and to know the the idiosyncrasy and, and and uh the way that that tourism has sort of shaped. Uh, not just the, the landscape, but also the, the lives of people in PISAC.
0: Yeah. Great. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the benefits of, of studying tourism, isn't it? The, we get to uh, visit some very interesting uh, places uh, in the context of our work.
1: Absolutely. How did you
0: get the idea, then, to go to the plaza? I, I mean, it is uh, relatively well-known.
1: Uh, yes, yes. I mean, PISAC Pisa really opened up to tourism in the late 60s as part of a a program by the Ministry of Tourism to train uh, local men initially to work in handicraft uh, uh, making, but uh, it started to be well to to become well known amongst international tourists in the 70s, in the 80s and 90s for its handicraft market that initially only uh, took place during the the weekends. And so most people in Peru and international tourists would know PISAC because of the handicraft market. And now obviously tourism has evolved and there's uh, other attractions, not just in PISAC, but around PISAC, around the Sacred Valley, where where PISAC is situated. But the the handicraft market is is still a very well-known attraction, even though it has changed from People who used to produce their own goods, and some of them still do, to now people working in the handicraft market, mostly selling from, from reselling from producers uh, and, and selling all kinds of goods, not just locally made goods.
0: Interesting, interesting context and, and very interesting research objectives. So, how did you go about addressing some of those uh, research objectives? So, can you describe the theories or the, or the concepts that are underpinning your work?
1: Yes. So, I mean, for my PhD, the the study encompassed other issues outside of just uh, the plaza. But for this study, we focused on the plaza because it was, as I mentioned before, one of the the key uh, places for tourism activity. And so we decided to employ a sensitizing concept, let's say, instead of a conceptual framework, mostly related to uh, a conception of, of power as relational not just as something you have but that you have to exercise and practice in order for it to you know in order for it to have effect and we looked at obviously Foucault. we employed uh, some of the the research that um, alan also has done uh, in regards to uh, power uh, being distributed across space as well we used as well some of the research from uh, you and low also mm-hmm talk about the difference between space and place. And this was very important because, uh, so they make a distinction that uh, placemaking refers to how cultural groups imprint value, uh, memories, traditions, and give meanings to specific geographical spaces. That's what makes a place. And so it foregrounds the, the, that place is shaped by those who inhabit it. And so that's that's where we wanted to highlight also with the, the plaza, because it has different meanings for different actors some of its its function is practical it's a space that facilitates tourism activity it facilitates interaction it's a communal space for locals but it also has symbolic value uh, and strategic value also for some actors like the handicraft sellers for instance that use the plaza as a, as a way to be in the center of tourism activity and to be more visible but, also, the symbolic value that it has for residents. And maybe some of your listeners probably um, don't know this if they're not from South America. But in South America, plazas, for any town or city, is not just a place where you have it's it's a key space for interaction uh, between residents and 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 uh, communal activities. But it also has this this other symbolism that plazas, Uh, give uh, places morality and status and so the fact that uh, the handicraft market for instance was now taking place every day from Monday to Sunday effectively uh, occupying that space for a lot of the residents it wasn't just a question of we don't have access to this space for communal activities but it's also it brought to you can see in the article uh, two of my interviewees Maria and Manuel talking about how they felt that the plaza was disrespected. It was shameful not to be able to have a plaza as a, as a town anymore. Mm. And so we use some of the, the work by Liu uh, Lo, and, and Tuan when we examine this. And then we also use some, some of the concepts developed by Bourdieu, uh, symbolic power, cultural capital, for instance, when we examine the role of tour guides, who are able to use different tactics to influence where tourists buy how long they stay where they walk what they visit because they have this uh this this symbolic role in front of the the tourist as the the cultural expert as the local expert and a lot of the times tourists obviously they haven't been there before they don't speak Spanish so they rely on 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 guides for advice and um, and also obviously the guide controls the the tour so they tell tourists how long to stay, et cetera. So some of those tactics that they can use also to sort of influence uh, where tourists go and tour guides, as you can see in the, in the, in the article, some of them will, will use some of those tactics also to to uh, send tourists to shops where they have commission-based sales, for instance. So it, it was important to, because all of these different actors sort of have competing goals in, in PSAC. And different histories and different interests, we wanted to employ different theoretical concepts to to try and understand how these very different stakeholder groups influence tourism and and shape local power relations.
0: Yeah, interesting. I, I mean, I enjoy the way that you bring together the, the 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 geography part, the place and space part, as well as the the power uh, part with okay. some of the you know the French philosophers that you've mentioned. You touched briefly on different stakeholders, so and and you talked about interviews. Can you just expand a little bit on the methods that you did use, and what were some of the challenges that you had?
1: So I did two field trips, uh, one in 2013 and another one in 2014. Uh, the first one was uh, around uh, six weeks. The second one was around eight weeks. So I was living in Pisac. I did a lot of participant observation. I was living in the village, so I was out all the time, talking to people, being introduced to people, interviewing people in the, in the in the plaza. I did 40 interviews in total with different stakeholders, so people working in tourism and living in PISAC, residents in PISAC not working in tourism, local government stakeholders from the municipality, from the regional Ministry of Tourism, from the National Ministry of Tourism in Lima, and... A lot of the interviews that I did was mostly with uh, people in PISAC. I also interviewed some people living in uh, uh, surrounding indigenous communities because they also play a key role in tourism. Uh, A lot of the times they are the the main attraction or their cultural heritages. And so a lot of the interviews that I did in PISAC were, took place whilst people were working. So I was uh, because people are working all the time. That's the thing as well. It's 24-7. They don't really take a break. So I was I was interviewing a lot of the women in the market whilst they were working, um, which was interesting because I could see, I could interview, but I would also observe at the same time what was going on in the market and how they interacted with tourists and the questions that tourists asked and where they walked, et cetera. But there were also a lot of interruptions as well. And sometimes having to... Uh, start an interview again, you know, after they've done Mm. a long transaction with the tourists that sometimes pose some some difficulties. Getting access to uh, government stakeholders was a lot of the times tricky, asking questions about whether, why, especially with the municipality, some of the promises that they used to make uh, in most elections was uh, that they would build an alternative market for handicraft sellers and this market was never built, and it was always something going on. So, th- th- as per usual, I guess a lot of the times politicians don't want to answer your questions, or they deviate. So, you know, trying to get a straight answer was was hard sometimes. Yeah, um, I mean that's yeah. that's a find.
0: That's a, almost a finding in itself, isn't it? The you know the the the, the lack of answer or the um, avoiding of an answer is is also a finding. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely, yes, yes. And Just I would say that. It was probably one of the most intense experiences I've ever had, uh, living in such a different environment, and and interviewing and and you know observing at the same time. I was taking photographs as well. I used a lot of visual materials, and I really I felt that I I got the the opportunity to really know a part of the country that I I hadn't known before, and probably I wouldn't have to to that degree if I hadn't uh, done this study. But it it was also very. Intense in terms of the work, the amount of work that you have to do, then to mm. transcribe all those interviews, analyze, and um, all the amount of data that you get in an ethnographic study is huge. Trying mm. to then uh, having to narrow it down, to order it, to structure it is, uh, you know, the process that comes after the data collection was. Yeah, uh, yeah the data collection is the, the fun
0: part, and then and then yes. you know, transcribing not. not... <laughs> Not, not yes so so yes
1: and and reducing your data because you have so much of it mm. um to and trying story. to make some sense yeah. out of it Yeah, to tell a story yeah mm. that, that took me a few years i have to say
0: <laughs> well well done um you mentioned about the uh, importance or the the central part of the tour uh, the tour guides in sort of mm-hmm. being a gatekeeper and the power that they have is there any other sort of uh findings from the other stakeholders you want to just briefly touch on
1: uh yeah so i mean one of the the key findings was that and 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 you know foucault and and, um, and others mentioned this that it's you shouldn't really look at at the at powers uh, from from the perspective of, of powerless and powerful It's that you know different actors will have in different moments and situations uh, both the, the 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 opportunity to uh, enact power and to resist it, so you know market traders were not passive. I think that sometimes you read studies and it's very it's, it's simplistic in that they're victims and they're perpetrators and that may be the case sometimes but I what I found was that uh, for instance, market traders they were A lot of the times they they were maybe the the victims of of tour guides in in some way because they didn't pay commissions, so then the tour guides wouldn't send them the tourists and uh, etc. But they also exercised powers in other ways, you know, in in relation to residents and to other uh, uh, stakeholders like indigenous communities, for instance, that weren't allowed to sell in the market. And a lot of the times, the, the way that they enacted power was uh, very tacit, you know, through micro micro actions, if you will, like, uh, well, t- slowly taking over the, the the space of the plaza and the pavements, refusing to take the the the, the stalls away completely at night, uh, you know, setting up very early in the morning, making noise you know indirectly it's a way to 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 tell others that th- that is their space right and so that was one of the key findings as well that it, it, even though it is important obviously to look at power in relation to governance for instance legislation there's also all kinds of ways very sometimes invisible ways in which local actors can enact power within tourism and because tourism comes in as an external agent bringing in external influences and also external actors it 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 does it has the power to to reshape how uh, people in a community relate to each other right so the, the 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 residents for instance a lot of them had family members working in the in the handicraft markets but at the same time their actions were affecting their everyday lives so there was this kind of tension sometimes mm-hmm. between family and friends for instance there are other Stakeholders that I examined within my thesis that wasn't part of this, uh, you know, the, the women, for instance, they are the main basically breadwinners as a result of tourism. Most of the people that work in the market, both the handicraft market and the food market, are women. And that's to do with an, um, a conception of uh, shame, actually, and of uh, what is appropriate for a man and a woman to do that is very local. So it's, for some reason the way that locals or in that region of a country the way that they look at people that sell in the market it's seen as inappropriate for a man to do it because a man shouldn't shouldn't have to how can i say this to draw the attention of tourists or to beg mm. them somehow yes, to right. buy from them very, very gender stereotyped roles yes but women can do this women are good at negotiating you know women can you know, can take uh, a tourist ignoring them, et cetera, but that wasn't appropriate for a man. And it was always seen as a job that women could do because of this 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 stereotype, I guess, and this notion that this is appropriate for a woman, not a man. And so that's how women got into full-time employment and then slowly kind of took over the, the local economy in a way. So that was also very interesting to see and how that happened through a very, very gradual process that wasn't really overnight.
0: Yeah, great. Some very nuanced and and deep takeaways there. All right. One further uh, sort of question. I, I guess, you know, since you've been in the field and written it up, we've had COVID and the world's changed to some extent, not just because mm-hmm. of COVID. And yeah. if you had your time again, or, or if you were to do further research, and maybe you already have in this area, um, what sort of directions would you take? Would you take the research from here?
1: Well, I, I've sort of have done some research again with the women in PISAC. Um I did a, 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 a brief study for the the PEC and the British Council, looking at the impacts of the pandemic on women working in the informal tourism economy. And so, I interviewed virtually some of the women in Pisac uh, again, because actually uh, the handicraft market is actually uh, informal, and a lot of the the the, the, the people who work uh, in tourism. In, in, well, in Peru, but in are part of the informal economy. And what was interesting was that the women in Pisac in comparison with other uh, tourism destinations in Peru that that are less tourism centric, or the economy is not as tourism centric, they were very resourceful during the pandemic. Obviously, tourism completely stopped because um, Peru closed its, its borders for around six to seven months when the pandemic started. And that part of the country, PISAC and Cusco, is very dependent on international tourists. They couldn't go out because there was strict confinement in Peru for many months. So there was you know, no way for them to, to go out and sell in the handicraft market and make a living. And a lot of the women were um, they were able to adapt very quickly. They came up with new entrepreneurial ideas about how to what to sell from home. Uh, a lot of them started. Well, one of them, for instance, told me I noticed that a lot of people started drinking during the pandemic, so I started selling, you know, alcohol for my house. We opened a little bodega, All right. um, yes. And others, you know, started cooking from home, buying uh, animal stocks, and and started uh, selling food from home for the community. Traveling to other parts of Peru once the the, the confinement started to ease. To uh buy pisco from uh, from the coast of peru and 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 honey, and bring it back to Pisac, where you can't find that easily and reselling it. so it it seems like they were they had this different capacity to adapt, per, perhaps to a degree because of tourism because they've had to adapt to the constantly shifting patterns of tourism and to reinvent themselves all the time. And this, they, a lot of them were able to do this throughout the pandemic, obviously not earning the same amount of money. But still, uh, they were able to survive. So I think that I would love to continue. I, I would like to continue uh, researching this to see uh, specifically now at this point, uh, as we are emerging now from the pandemic, what have they learned from uh, the pandemic? And and what were some of the, the ways in which they, they were resilient uh, and And were able to adapt.
0: right. yeah, some post post pandemic, because, yeah, that's a nice research agenda for the for the next uh, little while for you. From my side, I think that's all uh, that's given listeners a, a a good overview of the of the paper. We encourage listeners to go and read the full paper called Place Power and Tourism in Value Creation: Contesting the Plaza in Pisac, uh, Peru, in tourism geographies, uh volume twenty four. Uh, Issues four and five, uh, which you can find the link in the podcast description below. All right, Rosa, any any last comments from your side?
1: No, that's it. Thank you very much for uh, giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit more about my paper and the context and and the study. Uh, Very thankful to tourism geographies. And I look forward to maybe publishing further research with the journal. All right, thanks. Thank you.